Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I mentioned, we have the opportunity today and in the, the following Sundays to go back and, and reevaluate from a biblical perspective the core values of our congregation here at Divine Savior. And you have the first one in front of you. It's not something you have to guess about. The idea that we thrive more on joy than on guilt. But let's talk about that. How many people here have seen the movie Inside Out? All right. Kind of as I expected, more of the younger crowd. Not to say if you haven't seen it, you're old. Inside Out, it's an animated film, maybe two or three years old. I'm not sure, somewhere around that. I'm going to tell you just the, the, the synopsis of it. Inside Out, it was put out, I think it was a Pixar film, and it has to do with a, a young girl named Riley. And Riley is making the move because her dad gets transferred from a Midwest city, I think it's actually in Minnesota, to California. And the whole movie, Inside Out, is supposed to be a way to teach us how to process emotions. And so the concept is this. You kind of are given a, it's an animated film, a glimpse into what's going on in Riley's mind as she goes through this whole process. And so you have these different characters in her mind. Uh, Joy, of course, represented all the happy moments of her life. Anger. Sadness. Fear. And I think disgust. And so as the movie's going on, it shows kind of a, a, what, from a, a children's pers- child's perspective, what might be going on in your mind as you are processing different life events and challenges, and you see the struggle between joy, and then as it struggles and gets passed off into fear or even anger, depending on the circumstances. I remember reading a review about that movie. And a psychiatrist was saying that it was actually an excellent movie to help teach children about the real conversations that need to happen, about the emotions that we all have, and learning to process those in a healthy way. But this review said, perhaps it's necessary for there to be a sequel. That's not for children, but for adults. And the reason they were saying that is because there's one key emotion that wasn't dealt with in the film. Guilt. And according to this psychiatrist, they're saying if there is one emotion that has the ability to cripple us, it's guilt. And it's kind of that perfect storm of emotions, right? Because it's kind of at the intersection of where anger and sadness and fear all come together. It usually has to do with, with guilt. So if we want to be a congregation that thrives more on joy than on guilt, then we have to know that there's a place to deal with guilt. And there is. 
And we're going to see it in a beautiful way when I read to you in just a moment from Acts chapter 16, where it deals with the jailer of a city called Philippi. I'm going to read the section, at least a portion of it, and then we're going to talk about how this lesson reminds us of how we can handle guilt. Acts chapter 16, I'm going to start with verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. It's the word of our Lord. We picked up the story in kind of the dramatic moment. But let's just backtrack for a moment because you know how important setting can be. We're in the book of Acts and we're talking about the growth of the Christian church. And you know that one of the main characters is the Apostle Paul, the great missionary. And he's on one of his mission trips. This would be the second one. And as he had traveled through Asia Minor, which would be modern day Turkey, he hops over into the other peninsula next door where Greece would be. But on his way to Greece, he stops in a city called Philippi, and Philippi was famous for being a Roman military city, even though it wasn't in Italy. But it was an outpost, and it had a very Roman way of doing things. And there were military everywhere. So Paul and his companion Silas, they are in Philippi, and they have the desire to share God's word with anyone and everyone, and they meet a group of women who were meeting together to talk about Jesus outside the city gates. One of the women was called Lydia. And she actually invited them to start a house church in her own house inside Philippi. And so there they are, making great headway, being able to share the knowledge of Christ. And then a young girl in the streets one day starts chasing after them because she was possessed by an evil spirit. And she's talking to them and she's kind of yelling after them, we know who you guys are, you represent the true God, and causing all kinds of of bad publicity. And Paul, through the power of, of his Savior, was able to help this lady. 
But of course, that upset the full city and the master in particular because he was using this young lady who had been possessed to make money by telling fortunes. And as soon as you upset the economy of a Roman city, and as soon as you start proclaiming the name of a god other than Caesar, you got one punishment, prison, if not death. So Paul and Silas are thrown into jail, awaiting the next step, and that's where we picked it up. There they are in jail, singing hymns, when a great earthquake comes, a divine earthquake, if you will, allowing not only Paul and Silas, but all of the prisoners to have free access from their cells, able to escape. And now it's, it's like it's pulled straight out of a Hollywood movie. The jailer of Philippi, the one in charge of, uh, of keeping the, the, the cells secure and making sure the prisoners don't flee, he sees what's going on. He realizes he's an epic failure. He draws his sword, ready to kill himself because he doesn't want to be punished by his authority And he realized that he has not carried out his task. And at the last moment, Paul says, don't do it, we're all right here. And then trembling, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? It's just one of those great stories because you can feel the emotion But do you realize what's going on here? This is a story all about the human emotion. If this were inside out of the first century, we could try figuring out what different characters were firing off in the jailer's mind. Because what happens that would make a grown man who was so, at one moment, so secure in his position and his lot in life And just a couple moments later, be trembling, shaking in his boots, and doing all he can to escape this world. Well, I think we know what it is. It's the power of guilt. If you were to have a, a, a bird's eye view of this situation and see the jailer, you can imagine him thinking through and going through the natural processes and reaching the conclusion, I have failed. I am guilty of not carrying out my job. I had the job of being responsible for the prisoners and they're all gone now. And there's no washing away this guilt. Therefore, I'm going to end my own life. But that's not what made him tremble. Because the guilt that this jailer is dealing with isn't just occupational guilt. It's the trembling hand of one who is holding a sword, ready to run himself through and not being certain what's on the other side. Oh, that's a, that's a guilt far worse. It's a guilt of knowing I'm not right with my maker. It's a guilt of saying... I've had a time of grace by which I ought to know my God and learn to love him and recognize his love for me and I have failed and I'm not ready to die. That's the power of guilt. And none of this is a surprise to any of you. 
you know the power of guilt. You're living it on a daily basis. And it drives us. And in fact, we sometimes learn to thrive on the guilt because the guilt shows us our shortcomings and we do all we can to turn those shortcomings around and we just work harder and we push ourselves further thinking that somehow, in some way, we can remove our own guilt. And it ends not well. Think about the different aspects of guilt in your lives. We can talk about, well, let's talk about parental guilt. Oh, man. I see it every time I look in the mirror. I see it every time I look at you when we discuss stories of epic parenting fails. And it drives us nuts because we're figuring out we thought we had it all together and the Lord entrusted us with a child, and I think I screwed it up. And it weighs us down. And then we talk about vocational guilt. Lord, you gave me one job. I'm supposed to be a good employee, and I keep screwing this up. I'm not making my deadlines, and I'm not having a good relationship with my employer. Or if you're an employer, my relationship with my employee isn't going so well. I shouldn't have snapped off at him. I did this, I did that. And you feel the guilt come down. Then there is pediatric guilt or the guilt that a child feels and should feel. Because it's not just parents who have been failing. It's looking up and saying, man, I really don't treat my parents well at all. I'm 12 years old going on 30 and I think I can run my mouth off like that because I know better. But I know it's wrong. And then we have the church guilt. If I don't make it to church today, pastor's going to be mad at me. And when pastor gets mad, I don't believe what he says when he's saying the words of forgiveness anymore. I think I'm just going to remove myself from church even further. And then we have student guilt. Parents want me to learn? I don't want to learn. And my teachers? They're just old. I don't like them anymore. But I know I should. And then you have Christian guilt which wraps all of this together, and it says, as a parent, as a student, as a child, as an employer, as an employee, I'm supposed to be living my life to the glory of God, and I don't. And we get crippled. Yeah, you know the pain of guilt. It's so real And it draws us to the conclusion that we have nothing that we can do other than try harder to try to make ourselves feel better. And yet ultimately that doesn't work either. Oh, but we know the power of guilt. Because we see it in our own lives, we decide to unleash it in the lives of others. Because if I have to feel guilty, I'm going to make you feel guilty. And we see it in our our relationships with others where we make guilt be the driving force behind getting our way. 
Because if someone's not doing what you want them to do, just push their buttons and make them feel guilty. And eventually, you get their way externally, but you know that you've lost their heart long ago. So there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another opportunity. There's got to be another solution rather than thriving on guilt. And there is. We thrive more on joy than guilt. Listen to how Paul's account with the jailer ends up. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You get the question, what must I do? That's what guilt does. Guilt tallies up a huge amount of debt and then asks, what do I need to do to pay off the debt? I will do anything. I want to be at peace. I want to be able to sleep tonight. I want to be able to get up tomorrow morning with confidence. But you're looking in the wrong place and then Paul and Silas point the jailer to the one place that can do it. And it's not a to-do. It's what Jesus has done. We believe in someone whose perfection can remove our guilt. We believe in a Savior whose perfect life and sacrificial death can once and for all cover our guilt and make us whole with God. You see, that's the solution. The solution is stop letting our guilt drive us and letting Christ's forgiveness present a new joy. Now, don't get me wrong. We have every right to feel guilty. That's a natural thing. God's law makes demands that we can't keep, and we need to be reminded of that. But we have to stop going only that far. Because if that's as far as we get, we'll eventually despair and give up on life. So Paul takes us the next step. Once you hit that moment of despair and your guilt is feeling so real, take it to the one who deals with it at the cross. Lift your eyes and find your Savior. I don't want to sound corny here, but we're dealing with a situation in a prison where the jailer is at a loss and feeling the guilt of failure before Paul and Silas. But, but really ask yourself this question, who really was in jail? Physically, sure, Paul and Silas were the imprisoned ones, and yet there they were singing hymns and praising God in the middle of the night with the joy of salvation still on their lips. And the guard, the prison keeper is trembling, fearful of what comes next. He's in jail because he doesn't think or know his Savior. Do you realize how often we put each other into prison? 
We put each other in the prison of guilt and we throw away the key and we watch each other squirm because it gives us some semblance of control. And we start to thrive on that, but that never brings the joy. And so we're reminded to let people out of jail by pointing them to Christ. What does this mean for us as a congregation? How does this play out at Divine Savior? We get to thrive more on joy than on guilt, which means even though guilt will be a reality, even though that emotion will be triggered in your minds, even though on a daily basis we will see where we fall short, we know that the joy of salvation and the joy of forgiveness will always trump, be superior, be victorious over our limitations. That is power. And that is meaningful for our life. And what is more, we, in the joy of salvation, we can let so many others out of prison too. I can guarantee you that you know people who are struggling with guilt. That they have a hard time getting up in the morning because things that they have said, thought, or done in the past are gnawing at them and they feel like there's no way out and they're trembling before God. And we get to say, yeah, I get it. I've been there too. But believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you and you will be saved. You and your household. What a, what a scene change for that prisoner, excuse me, for that prison keeper, the jailer. To go from trembling and fear being looked at by his family as someone rejoicing and bringing baptism into the house. What a scene change that takes place every day that we go to the foot of the cross. We see our sins as horrific as they are, washed away and replaced with joy. I don't know whether they're going to come up with a sequel or not to Inside Out. doesn't really matter. But I think on a day like today, it's healthy to evaluate our emotional state and realize just how powerful guilt is. But it will not drive us and we will not thrive in it. Rather, joy. The joy of a Savior the joy of a God who loves us, the joy of a God who has provided us his word and his promises that will always carry the day. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may that guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.